The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, all you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the week three college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson, still high off an Arkansas win, or have you moved on to Georgia Southern? Woo, pig suey. Listen, we're going to get into this. This is Georgia Southern uh, Arkansas game. There is a lot of mouths to feed, like the Duggar family in Arkansas. There's a lot of mouths to feed on this Razorback roster, so we'll get into it. I, uh, of course, for this episode, I am donning my Georgia Southern <laughs> new shirt, so we'll get into that. We have a lot to get to. We have marquee games. <clears throat> we have FCS or no. We're going to take out the trash. Oh, boy. We're dumpster diving. More on that later. We will, you know, cover some rapid, we'll cover a bunch of games in rapid fire. We have a Friday night game to talk about favorite Moneyline underdogs, favorite favorites, favorite bets, all that to come. And by the way, I can't wait to talk Florida, Alabama. And I can't wait for that game to happen mainly because, you know, the 3.30 CBS game is back and the SEC 3.30 CBS game and there'll be fans. We haven't seen that since 2019. I can't wait. The Swamp should be rowdy. We'll get to that game as well. But let's start with where we always start. Look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? Uh, If you're a first-time listener, thank you, first of all. But this is a segment where we look ahead to next week's slate and determine, okay, could a team maybe get caught peeking ahead a little bit? It also informs us of a potential second half play. You know, a team might not want to show anything. They might take their starters out a little early, go a little vanilla, a little earlier than usual. Got three spots here. We'll start with the aforementioned Arkansas Razorbacks <laughs> and Georgia Southern Eagles at WinBet. Arkansas is a 23 and a half point favorite. I will have to start here. Look, I took Georgia. There's a 24 that popped up in a couple places during the week. I took 24. I would wait for 24. See if you can get it. I think that it'll probably be bouncing back and forth. There will be opportunities to get a 24 uh, at some point again this week, but I make this number just under 
three touchdowns and primarily because I I haven't done much with Georgia Southern after their first two games. So the first two games have been really ugly, right? They barely escaped Gardner-Webb, and then they got blown out by Florida Atlantic. But if you dig a little deeper into both games, against Gardner-Webb, they started Amari Jones at quarterback, who was a running back for Tulane. Very talented running back who will do a lot of – he could do a lot of damage in their backfield. But he has no skills as a passer, no skills as a pit, pitcher. Like, he can't pitch the ball in their option. Like, it was just a mess. Then last year, last week, they started uh, they started Cam Ransom. And Cam Ransom against Florida Atlantic actually had some success early on. They went up 6-0. Late in that first half, Ransom is, dri- Ransom is driving. They're up 6-0 in midway through the second quarter, he gets hurt, comes out of the game. They go with Sam Kennerson, um, whose skill set is more of, you know, he's, he's fast, more of a pastor, different kind of skill set. He fumbles inside the 10 at a chance to go 14, nothing late uh, in that second quarter. And then it just all went downhill from there. Cam Ransom eventually came back in, um, but he was hobbled and the, the game was already out of hand. So, They didn't have their quarterback, Justin Tomlin, who's their projected starting quarterback. He was academically ineligible for the first two games. He's back this week. They actually have a quarterback who can run their option offense. J.D. King, their projected starting running back. They have a lot of talent running back. He could be back this week as well. And then I obviously have to mention the spot. I mean, Arkansas, I think, is still partying uh, after that win against Texas. I don't know if the SEC is going to levy another fine, but – there's still parades going on and, and just jubilance. And, and by the way, Arkansas, who do they have on deck? I mean, they have Texas A&M, two more ranked conference opponents after that. So we'll see if they come out focused. But even if they don't and they build a big lead, hey, let's stay healthy for what we have ahead. Let's not show too much. And it's just difficult to cover 24 against a slow slogging option offense like Georgia Southern and Georgia Southern, by the way, when they're catching three touchdown has have been absolutely money as of all the service academies who run the triple option historically. So it's just, it's a tough number to cover because there's limited possessions, assuming that they can actually do something on offense, right? They couldn't against Florida Atlantic when ransom got hurt, but they're going to have Tomlin back there who could, who actually understands the offense. I think that they'll be able to put together some drives, which even more important than getting points is just taking eight, nine minutes off the clock when you're catching 24. So the spot is obviously awful for Arkansas sandwiches, your classic sandwich spot, but Georgia Southern gets their quarterback back. They were embarrassed last week. If Georgia Southern won this, I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia Southern won this game just because, you know, I don't think they're going to win, but I mean, (laughs) When you're playing a triple option offense, if it's able to function at a high level and take 10 to 12 minutes off the clock on a drive, that limits the game, increases the variance. I mean, Georgia Southern went into Florida as 30-point underdogs and won outright in, what, 2012, 2013. They ran this – the whole – what do we always play, the tin horn? They, they ran for 320 yards against Alabama, averaged seven yards per carry. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? They run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. So 
it can happen. Look at Army did to Oklahoma, right? You limit the game as an option offense. So if I was an Arkansas fan, if they come out flat and Georgia Southern has a 10-minute drive to open the game and scores a touchdown, I would get a little squirrely is all I'll say. I'm taking the points here. I'll have my Georgia Southern gear on off the wash this shirt again, and, and I'm rolling with the Eagles. That's my case now for your rebuttal, sir. Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, well, in the world, in the words of Will Ferrell from old school, you're, I like you. You're crazy, man, but, but I like you. I, I don't, I don't, what, where, how did you get on this tangent that they could win? This is not the Chad Morris era. This is, this, this I, is not Brett I was, Bielema. I was peeking back at some, I was having a little, <laughs> nostalgia i was looking at some old box scores of georgia southern when they played sec teams and uh i was remembering that florida game i think they were 28 and a half point underdogs when they won uh, all right so i'm going to acknowledge the fact that this is a great spot for georgia should, southern. I, should I make them my uh, favorite my uh, put them in the money line underdog parlay later uh, no i will not yeah I, I don't know you and i've already generated enough words on umass and uconn i'm not sure if we could handle this but listen there's uh, before I get into like how I feel about the game and tech technical stuff and numbers and all that, this is a different era at Arkansas. We just don't lose games like this anymore. That was a Chad Morris thing. That was a Brett Bielema thing. Uh, you know, the, and to, to get into what Sam Pittman said at his presser this week, he knew for a fact that the Razorbacks could not prepare for Georgia Southern in one week's practice. He said in his presser outright, we already put a total of four days work into the triple option into Georgia Southern specifically. And we knew Tomlin was suspended for the first two games. And we reviewed all the film on Tomlin from last year. Pittman said it flat out. And, and I said this last week on the podcast, he laid out exactly what he was going to do against Texas. He said, I'm taking Robinson away. So Pittman came out in the press for the other day and he said, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be zero dive in, in the a gap, zero fullback dive. And there's going to be maximum contain on our edges so that Tomlin has to make the pitch. Tomlin was great at making the pitch last year, has some unbelievable film, but that's where we're going to drive everything because we want to push everything to the outside for our unbelievable linebacker core that Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan that's all over the place and can get out there and make the tackle. Pittman has put a focus and the defense on, on a focus to take away the dive, put in contain, and make the pitch. Make the pitch, make the pitch. That's all he said. So this will get extended to the outside. It'll be a side sideline to sideline game. It's not going to be a very vertical game for Georgia Southern. And I agree with you and Pace. I mean, they're they're extremely slow. They always are with the triple option. Arkansas is really not that fast anymore. Last year they were tenth in tempo. This year, so far, just sixty first and and plays per minute. But I just wouldn't be surprised to not see our defense, our first string defense, in there in the second half. And I think you're completely justified in saying this is the spot and this is the number because I make it around twenty two. Uh, not a bad play to take Georgia Southern. I think the second half is going to be a lot of scoring. I think the first half, and remember, I've said this about Arkansas, they get off to terrible starts. So what I like in this game is I, I know it's slow, but I like the over. And the reason is Georgia Southern defense is horrific. 117th in allowing explosive plays, 124th in defensive passing success rate, 92nd in coverage. Arkansas is going to play a full four quarters, and they're going to try to score as many points as possible, even after the starters leave. I like the over in this game. Uh, Georgia Southern is going to get their points. I actually do think they're actually probably have 14 points going into half. Uh, Arkansas is going to start slow. It's probably going to look a little shaky in the first quarter. It always does with Arkansas. But we will get our points. The starters will be out by the second half, but the tempo 
and the hunger to score points from our second string is, is not going to go away. And this, I have full confidence in our offense scoring enough to get this to the over. It's easier said than done, you know, stop the dive, stop the pitch. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good plan. By the way, here's a trivia question that I don't know the answer to. Great trivia question to ask her. I don't even know the answer. When is the last time that Arkansas faced the triple option? Like, do, do, do you remember? It does Coastal Carolina count yeah, they, since they're they have a varied option attack? Didn't they lose the Coastal Carolina at home? Beat them by one point. All right, we got it done against Jamie Chad. Well, it was a rough game. Coastal Carolina stunk. They were like 0 and 10, too. Yeah, get ready, get ready. <laughs> All right, moving on to our second spot here. It's a another game that I played at WinBet. Vanderbilt is a 11, 11 and a half, various points of the day, 11, 11 and a half point underdog at WinBet at home against Stanford. This is obviously a terrible spot for Stanford, uh, similar to, to Arkansas, right? They have mm-hmm. a huge upset win last week against USC, which nobody saw coming. Tanner McKee's first start, he looked really good, led to the firing of Clay Helton, about time. And on deck, Stanford, here's who they have on deck. I mean, this is identical to Arkansas. It's three conference games against ranked opponents. Stanford will host UCLA, host Oregon, and then go to Arizona State. So a couple things are at play here. Does Stanford, you know, they're going you know, to Vanderbilt. This game is at night in Nashville. Do they come out a little flat? Are, you know, David Shaw at times could be a little conservative. If they get any type of lead, do they go a little vanilla? Does that open up the back door if they're up 17 late? Vanderbilt came, they were now 14 nothing against Colorado State. Colorado State didn't put them away. They had two yards per play fewer, but they ended up winning. I think it's something to build on for a program that's been starving for something to build on. You know, they're in a great spot here, and I wouldn't be shocked if they won this game outright, honestly. It is just a horrific spot for Stanford. We'll see if they're focused from the beginning. But I also show a bit of line value on Mandy, so I took the doors. Anchor down. What, what channel do you think this game's on? It's on Jefferson Pilot, 11 8. <laughs> I, I would make it. I, I thought it was going to be at night. It's on ESPNU. Okay. I thought I was going to be spending too much time on SEC Network because I'm assuming at four o'clock, one of my uh, TVs is going to have to be on Georgia Southern. But uh, what do you see here? <laughs> I don't understand this line at all. It makes zero sense to me. Uh, they got uh, just two weeks ago, Stanford gets obliterated by the explosive play with Kansas State and Arlington. And they allowed USC, go and check the box score. USC lost that game, but had a 73% success rate in rushing attempts. And now Stanford is a huge favorite on the road. They stuffed three of 33 rushing attempts by USC, and now they're a favorite on the road. I, I, I'm so, like, stupefied by this number. I, I, I've never – I couldn't believe how far off it is. But, yeah, a couple notes on Stanford here. They, you know, their they're ranks are Kansas State and, and USC. They're bottom 10 in offensive line yards. Bottom 10 in pass blocking, rushing success rate on the defensive side of the ball. They're bottom 10 in rushing success rate, special teams, and then plays per minute. They're extremely slow. So, you know, where are they positive? The only thing that I could find in their advanced numbers, they're 41st in coverage ranks, which is, you know, okay. I mean, I still don't understand this double digit on the road spread. So Vanderbilt limited Colorado State to 2.6 points per trip past the 40. They played great. It's a good bounce back off of East Tennessee State. Go on the road, get this win. 
And they held Colorado State below the national average in finishing drives, below the national average in two-plus first downs. And the Commodores were great in passing downs. They had 6.4 yards per attempt. Uh, They owned time of possession, over 35 minutes. And that's just going to be Vanderbilt ball. And, you know, Clark Lee, think about this. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, he's no stranger to Stanford. I mean, he's gone up against a David Shaw offense multiple times while he was at Notre Dame. So, you know, in 2018 and 2019, Stanford lost both of those games against Notre Dame, and they only scored a combined 41 points. So how important is it for the trees to travel and to win this game when it's in between USC and UCLA? I've been waiting all week for Vanderbilt at 13. I don't think it's going to come. I think this will come crash back down to probably around 11, probably settles 11. So I'm not going to hold my breath for 13. Just going to play with Vanderbilt. And, and, you know, if I lose, I lose. But I just do not understand this number whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, seeing East Tennessee State win at Vandy 23-3 is scary. But it was the season opener with a new coach. So I'll give him a pass a little bit. Uh, I agree. I'm rolling with the home dog here. Uh, The last spot we have is a spot I will not be rolling with. That is Toledo, you know, off that emotional loss at Notre Dame in a game they could have won. Really, was really impressed with Toledo and really a coin flip game. They lost by three, but just a hard fought emotional game. You come back and you got to take on an 0-2 Colorado State team. 0-2 Colorado State team that lost to an FCS team and Vanderbilt, who we just talked about at home to start the season. Toledo on deck, they have Ball State. The reigning MAC champs, they have revenge on their minds from a game they probably should have won last year. This is coming from someone who had won Ball State to win the MAC. So are they going to get caught napping here? I I just can't trust this Colorado State team. That win bet, Colorado State is a 14-point underdog at Toledo. I think I'm still baffled, just baffled by the hire of Steve Adazio. I mean, what what did he ever do at Boston College? What's better than this? Guys being dudes. (laughs) <laughs> I think he was 34 and 34 during his time there. I don't know the man. Could be a great guy. He's 62. It seemed to me like he was looking for a paycheck and a place to retire. It's not like he's trying to rebuild this Colorado State team. From the pressers, I retweeted some of them. It seems like he might have already lost the team. He's already saying, I'll go find, you know, 15 guys on campus right now. I'll, I'll go to war with yeah. them. Let's look at the positives. Why don't we focus on the positives? We had a couple explosive plays. Why don't you talk? About I mean, they lost to an FCS team and then Vanderbilt. So I don't know if it's going too well. It's a pass for me, but if anything, I would I would play Toledo. Any thoughts? There's a good 150 mile radius around Fort Collins where there's lots of acreage you can buy, have a farm, retire, peaceful life, looking at the Rockies. Maybe that was Adazio's playing the whole time. But the more I read about Colorado State, I mean, they're missing a lot of players in this game. Safety Tuan Francis is a leading tackler. Uh, he's questionable. Linebacker Tavian Brown, safety Logan Stewart. They're both out for the first half in this game because they were called for targeting in the previous game. Those players have accumulated 109 snaps this season. So, you know, Adazio came out and, and then made the announcement that wide receiver Dante Wright is questionable for this game. We're not going to know he's a game time decision. He's second on the team in targets and he averages yeah. 14.6 yards per catch. So Adazio's, you know, uh, says, I think on Wednesday after practice says, we are going to be a very vulnerable team in the first half. Hmm. (laughs) You know, Toledo outscored Notre Dame in the first half. They posted 28 on Norfolk State before halftime. So that's what their record is in first halves this season. So do I expect the Rockets to come out hot? Listen, you know, Candle can take this one of two ways. You can be upset about how the Notre Dame game ended, or you can come out 
red hot pissed and just light the world on fire. And so that's kind of where I'm leaning towards what Toledo is going to do. Uh, Colorado State is 119th in finishing drives on defense. If you want me to hammer home how much I think Toledo has an advantage here, Colorado State is near dead last in stopping people once they cross the 40-yard line. Toledo right now is 17th in finishing drives on offense. The Rockets will score on every possession they get past the 40. I like the fact that Colorado State is missing a bunch of key players at wide receiver and, and their leading tackler all in the first half. So if you can find... You know, if you can find a seven out there, there it's a little hard to find. I had to go to some pretty extreme measures to get one myself today. I do like Toledo in the first half. I think they're a full game play also. But if Dazio's out there saying we're going to be the most vulnerable team ever in the first half, that's enough for me to buy Toledo uh, at their number, even seven and a half. Yeah, this program is a mess right now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a fan of, and never have been a fan of Todd Centeno, their quarterback, the Temple transfer. I was screaming last year in their opener. When Adazio started him over Patrick O'Brien, and then Patrick mm-hmm. O'Brien went in and transferred. It's just an absolute mess. And now, before we move on to the marquee games of the weekend, a quick reminder to our listeners, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for you guys this season. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit and place your first bet within 10 days. That bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. $1,000. That might be more than the Cash App is paying Bryce Young this season. So to take advantage of this WinBet offer, just click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. Let's get back to the show. Obviously, with the marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week three. We have to start with Alabama, Florida at WinBet. Alabama is a 14 and a half point favorite over under 60. The last time Alabama visited the Swamp. These teams have played a couple times over the past few years, but they've, they've always been in the SEC Championship. They're always in Atlanta. The last time Alabama visited the Swamp, 2011, and I think Alabama rolled. Trent Richardson ran all over Florida. Throwback there. Um, so it's been 10 years since Alabama visited the Swamp. Set 330 CBS. Crowd should be wild. I can't wait to watch that at- the atmosphere. We, we recorded our podcast earlier this week, and we said, you know, we were looking at some of the lines. This was Sunday. If you listen to our podcast earlier in the week where we recap the weekend and play some of your voicemails. By the way, don't forget about the voicemails. 959-BAD-BEATS. 959-BAD-BEATS. If you need to call, scream, yell, or vent this weekend. But we were saying, you know, we talked about that game for a second. I said, man, I really want to just get Florida over two touchdowns. And at the time we were looking at the line and it was 13, 13 and a half, you know, throughout the week I was watching the line. I think he grabbed a a juice 17, which I wish I did. I was waiting to Mm -hmm. see where it went. I noticed it coming back down. I was like, man, this thing might hit 14. Don't think it's ever going to get to 17. So I went out and grabbed a 15 myself. Um, I make this, you know, around 11 and a half, 11. And there's some things to, to like about Florida and some things to, to be worried about. So, I mean, when I look at this game, you know, these two teams played last year in a shootout when we were also on Florida catching two touchdowns and covered fairly easily. Both of these teams are very different 
offense offensively. And this will be Bryce Young's first road start in a hostile environment. So that's something to keep your eye on. He passed his test with flying colors uh, against Miami, but this is a little different uh, animal going to the swamp and playing a better Florida team. But we know the Alabama defense is excellent. Florida, what we have to watch for here is, and this is the biggest question, is who is going to play quarterback? Their rushing attack has been awesome this year, and it's been explosive. And Emory Jones has been shaky as a passer. And if you look at their passing stats, they've had three three passes for 160 yards. The rest of their passes are five and a half yards average. Not great. So it's the passing attack's erratic. Dan Mullen has to come up with a game plan here to attack Alabama on the ground. And he's one of the best in the business at doing that, coming up with creative runs and, you know, reverses, trick plays. You're going to see the whole kitchen sink here. But how much is Richardson going to play? He was dealing with a hamstring injury this year, but the electric freshman, just electric every time he touches the ball, like Cam Newton vibes at at Auburn. How much is he going to play is the question. They've been rotating. Emory Jones has four picks already, not as explosive of a runner. But there's that I think he can use that uncertainty to his advantage. And because Florida is going to have to run the ball, they're going to have to have success with Richardson. I think you see him a ton. This might look like, you know, those Dan Mullen, man, when Alabama at Alabama, Mississippi State came back in like 2015, when Alabama won by like three or four, when I think Mississippi State was ranked number one with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott would run the ball 26 times, 25, 26 times a game for that Mississippi State team. I think there's a chance you could see a similar game plan with Richardson with lots of designed runs, and they're just going to unleash him here with a chance to beat Alabama. So a lot of uncertainty, the quarterback situation, still shaky passing attack. We'll see what Saban comes up with to try to shut down this rushing attack. I'm sure you know it's not just going to be a, hey, we're handing it off kind of a rushing attack. Uh, but for me, this is just a, a numbers play. I won it over two touchdowns, and I took it. Chomp, chomp. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, it's nice hitting the nickel openers. I saw a 17 and a half, and by the time I fired, there was a 17. So, yeah, I, but I w- this is a number that I would actually play all the way down to 13. So even if you got 14 and a half or 15, I think that's pretty good. Mullen mentioned that Anthony Richardson is receiving treatment for his tweaked hamstring that he had on one of his touchdown runs uh, the other day. He expected him to practice this week. He did, and then yesterday, yesterday being Wednesday, after practice, he gave positive remarks to the media, said that Richardson's going to be A-OK. So, all clear on that front. Richardson has had uh, these numbers are just they're unbelievable. Silly. I mean, nine rushes on the season for an average of 25 yards per 11.9 yards after contact after contact and gener- he gener- he's already generated 10 missed tackles on nine runs. Uh, you know, Emory Jones, like you said, he's going to get the start and he's generated half as many missed tackles as total yards and double the attempts as Richardson. So when we're talking about productivity, Richardson's doing twice what Emory is in half the attempts. From a passing perspective, Jones now has three big-time throws on the season, but he has six turnover-worthy plays. You're not supposed to have double many turnover-worthy plays and you have big-time throws. Richardson has the same number of big-time throws. He has three. But he has zero turnover-worthy plays. The kid is, my God, is he the next coming of Tim Tebow? I mean, it's a, these numbers are – when you look at it, they just jump off the paper. It's just His average depth of target is 24 yards. Uh, of his five incompletions, he's had two drops. So, I mean, just the numbers are just bonkers. I mean, I can't wait to see him play against uh, against his defense. And the focus for Saban, he was really pissed off earlier this week when he came out in his press conference about the penalties. He's already had 17 this year for 176 yards. 
That's double the amount of penalties that the team, the 2020 team had last year through two games against Mizzou and Texas A&M. So there's a lot of sloppiness going on. It's really, you know, it's really got Saban's attention. Saban emphasized the Florida offensive line. They are second in the nation in line yards. That would give Alabama a real problem considering Christopher Allen is out for the season. Will Anderson, another edge rusher, he's day-to-day, expected to play, but banged up with a knee issue. Uh, that leaves, you know, Chris Braswell and Drew Sanders with duties at the edge, you know, very inexperienced. And you're going to have at least Anthony Richardson on them. Uh, corner Josh Job is expected to play, but, I mean, he's been targeted six times so far this season. He's he's dinged up already. You know, Florida is if we if we go to the other side of the ball because I think that's where the worry be. If you're if you're going to lay Florida, you're worried about Grantham and you're worried about the defense. And Florida is seventh in defensive pass rush, and that is a really good mark against an Alabama offensive line that is still reeling from essentially ejecting their entire offensive line into the NFL. Center Darian Dalcourt and right right tackle Chris Owens. Now Chris Owens was trying to be the center. He's been on the team for six years and continues to have you know bad numbers and blocking. Uh, the, the line isn't holding up that well in, in pass rush situations. And now Florida comes in uh, already top 10 in pass rush. Alabama's 85th in pass blocking per PFF. That's not a good combination. Florida is going to have their way with this offensive line. Bryce Young, if you look at it from a high level, if you just pull out some stats, you say, oh, Bryce Young, seven touchdowns and zero interceptions. The kid's doing well. Not really. He has three big time throws and three turnover worthy plays. It, it, it's really a lot of him dumping it off side to side and letting the letting the just most unbelievable playmakers in all of college football do all the work. So the question is, is, is Bryce Young going to throw downfield? He's only had 10 passing attempts past 20 yards. This is what just shocks the hell out of me. And maybe it's by design because Florida secondary is not very good, but Bryce Young has only attempted 10 passes past 20 yards. He's only completed one of them. He's one of 10 and passes over 20 yards. So we'll see if Saban has been holding back, if Bill O'Brien's been holding back, or if they're going to continue to run 12 just for the running game and for max protection. We'll see. So although you would know from the scoreboard, but this Bama team is just like, you know, they're a shade of what they were in 2020. And Young has been unsuccessful in throwing deep. The penalties are egregious. The offensive line is a big reason they're 82nd havoc allowed. I mean, this is unheard of with Alabama. So Richardson and Jones are going to have a lot of success for Florida moving the ball on the ground, which is going to create downfield passes in the second half against Bama. I like Florida. I like the points. You know, this is one of those games I need to, you know, reserve my judgment a little bit because I'm, I'm a pretty crazy about this Anthony Richardson kid. But, uh, yeah, Florida all the way. Even if it gets down past 14, I'd still take it at 13. Yeah, I mean, we have to be careful with some of the numbers with Florida because they played, you know, two subpar teams. I mean, they, they were FBS teams. Some of the Alabama numbers are troubling, but it's only two games. But from a numbers perspective, preseason, I would have liked Florida over two touchdowns. You add this Richardson in. Young looked pretty good against Miami. I still like it over two touchdowns and uh, I like the, the variance of, of Richardson uh, as a potential walker. What, and, and you said Florida doesn't have a good secondary, but they do have a really good corner in Elam who's second team all American, what they need to do. And they, they upgraded their defensive line. And I, I love the kid Carter. They need to get to young his first road start. They need to, and, and Grantham will do that. You know, it, it, you don't want him to do it too much, but blitz hit him, rattle him, pick, you know, Elam makes a big play. And then all of a sudden, ball game on. All right, moving on to our second marquee game of the weekend. And by the way, this involves a group of five team. Make sure you check out the guys who are doing our group of five preview each week. They are killing it. And I highly recommend listening each week. I mean, I think they went like nine for nine in the first week. So make sure you check out that 
episode each week. But for our second marquee game of the weekend, we're going to Hoosierland. Cincinnati, a three and a half point favorite over under 49 and a half at WinBet. I'll give you my cap on this. Here's just two, something that happened today and last night. Four separate people I know who never text me about college football betting. They'll only text me about NFL. Four separate people said, shouldn't I just lay it with Indiana, uh, with Cincinnati? Isn't Cincinnati going to kill Indiana? So I, that's the sentiment out there. Um, I'm right around <laughs> this number, but I, and I'm looking at some of the splits. It feels like everyone's going to be on Cincinnati, which means they're going to lose. But um, <laughs> but my, my player is the under. I, I grabbed under 50, some under 50 and a half. I still like it at 49 and a half. I, I mean, my cap here is Indiana's defense, potential top 10 unit this year, very experienced. Very good defense. On the other side, Cincinnati, elite defense, great corners. And Indiana can't run the ball. You know, they ran the ball last week against Idaho. Who cares? They couldn't run it last year. They couldn't run it against Iowa. So I don't know how Indiana's really going to move the ball. And I don't know if Pendix is healthy yet. He only had, what, 68 yards passing against Idaho. And he obviously didn't look right against Iowa. So I'm not sure how Indiana moves the ball. I think Indiana's defense will compete. They're not going to give up a lot of explosive plays. You're going to have to put together drives to score touchdowns in this game. And unless the defenses are forcing turnovers, which could happen, there's a lot of talent on both defenses. And who knows, Penix could throw. It's another Indiana under. I got to sweat Penix throwing multiple pick sixes. But uh, I think this is a defensive battle. I was surprised that the number was 50, 50 and a half. I, I thought it was going to open at 48 and then have some downward pressure. Maybe that happens towards the end of the week. But I see this as a defensive battle throughout. Thoughts? Yeah, I... <laughs> I think I have enough preseason investment inside of Cincinnati, uh, not, you know, from a lot of perspectives, uh, especially with when it comes to Desmond Ritter, uh, not just for the Heisman, but there was a pretty fat bet that I made for him just to make it to New York, but he's not going anywhere if they don't win this game. And I hear your same uh, sentiment. Uh, That's all people have said to me is Cincinnati's winning this game. There's no, there's no worries here. And I'm like, well, if there's no worries and why is this number hung up? Why is every time it gets a three and a half, it comes back to three. When, when you're in this position, it's good to know the X's and O's. It's good to know, you know, the players, the coaches, the schemes. It's it's good. That That's all great. And, and I think that makes a great capper. And, and I think the one thing that I've always focused on is try to take a little piece from when I meet somebody new, like take the psychology piece of it, take the X's and O's part of it, take the scheme, take the situation, take the, maybe the trends fall in sometimes. I don't know. But in this case, the market is going to take a bath in Cincinnati money. I mean, there's nobody. have you heard a case for Indiana? Anybody out there? So as I say that, let me go in and tell you about how Indiana's trench is really struggling. Offensively, they're 98th in line yards, 67th in pass blocking. Uh, they're outside the top 100 in offensive success rate, and they're bottom five in explosive plays. They're not moving the chains, and they're not getting the big plays. They're not converting third downs. And whether Penix is healthy or not, and whether he's got it, you know, just out of sync with his wide receivers, there's just no one there to support him on an offensive line perspective. Like he, he's under pressure all the time. And that's just not a good combination against Cincinnati's defensive line. And then there's, you know, two shutdown corners, uh, uh, Ahmad Gardner and Arquan Bush. They're going to play at the next level. Uh, and, and where does Penix have his most success? If you go to a heat map of where Michael Penix throws, his biggest success is outside the hash marks. Uh, generally it's between 10 and 20 yards outside the hashes. And that's just not going to be a good combination in this game whatsoever. So, you know, the numbers down across the board for the Indiana defense, the, the tackle and the coverage grading are way down from 2020. The team is just middling and havoc numbers. The FBS 
uh, on both sides of the ball. And I think some things out of the Idaho box score really bothered me. Uh, if you look into it, the overall yards per play were 4.8 to 4.3. I know you see a 40 point win, but that's not what was done on, you know, from a yards per they had play. Two special teams touchdowns in that game. Right. And it's, it's like what Iowa did to Indiana, right? It's a misleading final score. And Idaho was hurried on just one passing attempt. I mean, think about that. Indiana applied pressure against an Idaho offensive line and Idaho quarterback in one passing attempt. That is worrisome. So to me, Cincinnati is the best candidate for any money line parlay you want to put together, but don't go crazy because I'm telling you, I could read off these stats all day and I could tell you that Cincinnati's defense is going to play in the NFL, but I'm also telling you the market is telling me something. Unless this number just takes off after the podcast and flies up to five and a half, six, six and a half, and there's no stopping it. Something is wrong in the market. So don't go crazy with your money line parlays. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the third marquee game of the weekend. We're going to prime time. We will start with Arizona State at BYU. Arizona State's a three and a half point favorite over under 51 at WinBet, the official odds provider of the Big Bets on Campus podcast. Uh, I'll tell you that I grabbed Arizona State minus two and a half early in the week. I was as, as high on Arizona State than anyone, I think, coming into the season. We haven't really learned much about them. Um, they played two cupcakes the first two weeks. They've missed three extra points. As I've learned I'm a little worried about that. But, you know, BYU, we've, we've learned a, a lot about. They, you know, beat two Pac-12 teams. This will be the third Pac-12 team that they're playing. It's the first time these teams are meeting since 1998, I believe. And now they play a third straight Pac-12 team. This is a Arizona State team that's loaded with experience. They bring back – I mean, you look at their defense. They lost their star defensive lineman, Lole, in August to tricep surgery. But they have 10 senior starters. You know, they have just talent all over that defense. Two super senior corners. They get their slot – they run a 4-3 base. They get their slot corner back this week healthy – who played for Jack Jones, a super senior on the outside when he was suspended last year, just talent all over. And, you know, the whole offensive line comes back. Their running back, Trianum, comes back this this week. They're a loaded running back room. And then you have Jaden Daniels. The passing game is a little questionable for Arizona State. Accuracy issues. We'll see how that plays out. But he can run it. This is one of the most dynamic rushing attacks in the country. And the, the biggest question with Daniels, too, is, all right, he lost Darby and he lost Ayuk. He had them two years ago, and he's lost them in successive years to the NFL. So can someone step up as a number one receiver? They have potentially a super highly touted freshman who might play for the first time this weekend. We'll see. But, you know, when I look at BYU, they had 35% returning production, which was the fewest in the country. They lost Zach Wilson, number two overall pick in the NFL draft. They lost their left tackle in the third round and three others in the seventh round corner wide receiver so you know I, I wasn't expecting too much but Sataki said he loves his team there's a lot of depth and they've been great they moved a right tackle to a left tackle to replace Christensen he's been great Hall has been awesome he's averaging 10 yards a carry and he hasn't turned the ball over he's number five in quarterback rating they have a lot of weapons to throw to on the outside the defense has been great linebackers in particular the strength of that defense they replaced almost the entire secondary uh, ah, you came back at strong safety. They'd move him all over. He's a great player. And the defensive line is all raw as well. They lost Tonga, who was their, their big man in the middle. So when they beat Arizona, who cares? They didn't look great doing it. They got outplayed in the box. Beating Utah is a seven-point underdog. 
pretty impressive. They won the turnover battle, but they outgained Utah. But I think that that I went back and watched that game or half of it, I should say. And the one thing I was worried about with Utah coming into the season was their wide receivers. I think that that's all that was is their wide receivers were are they're in trouble from what they need wide receivers to step up because Utah ran for 7.7 yards per carry. This raw defensive line for BYU, I think is going to have trouble because Arizona state is one of the most dynamic rushing attacks in the country. And then if they're going to come up, you know, BYU usually rush three drop eight. They've been blitzing, playing more man, playing four more four man fronts this year. So far, Arizona state Daniels is going to make plays with his legs I think Arizona State ultimately wins this game. Would I lay four, four and a half now? No, but I thought Utah was fair at seven, and I have Arizona State rated higher than Utah coming into the year. Obviously, I had to adjust BYU up, you know, so I still make this line around five and a half, six. Would I lay four and a half? No. Try to get three, try to get two and a half. A lot of – does BYU have a hangover? I don't know. They will have their crowd again, their raucous crowd, a lot of energy. If they get out to a fast start against an Arizona State team – playing their first road game, look for Arizona State Live. I would take three or below, which is gone right now, but we might get back there. I can see some late BYU money coming in. Um, I think the Arizona State rushing offense uh, and Daniel's playmaking ability ultimately plays pays dividends here, and that's the difference. Uh, so I like the Sun Devils, but I'm higher on them than everyone, but I, I would need three or better. Thoughts? Yeah, everything you say about Arizona State on the ground is almost everything I'm going to say about BYU on the ground. And, you know, the Cougars got to show up after getting the biggest win in Sataki's tenure. Uh, you know, they hadn't lost a game at home since September of 2019 against Washington. Uh, so th- it's definitely some home field advantage. But there was a couple of things that stuck out to me. Uh, the Sun Devils are 97th in defensive line yards and they're 41st in defensive rushing success rate against UNLV in Southern Utah. That tells me that BYU is going to have some success on the ground. UNLV had a 51% success rate in running attempts. And plenty of that was dual threat quarterback, Doug Brumfield on designed runs, but Southern Utah posted an above average and success rate against them also against the Sun Devils and the secondary of the Sun Devils. They're living up to the billing of the big, the hype that we put on them in our preseason podcast, but they can be attacked on the ground and against one of the best defenses in the PAC 12 BYU produced a 63% success rate on the ground against Utah. The Cougars generated six runs over 12 yards. They posted above national average and two plus first downs and Sataki own time of possession, running, moving chains. These are the type of teams, you know, like, like coastal Carolina and like army that could just put you in a chokehold and strangle you. So as far as, you know, Arizona state and the offense goes, they got to gener- generate the same success rate on the ground while eliminating a lot of mistakes. The sun devils offense is 65th and havoc allowed. There are still, you know, even with this soft schedule they've had, there are people getting back to Jaden Daniels. And most of that is coming from 10 tackles for loss allowed against Southern Utah and UNLV. I think it's too many points. I'm going to take BYU and all the points here. I would take, I would buy it down to three and a half where I think where the market is sitting with win bet right now. Uh, I would definitely stop at three. I'm not surprised that I like Arizona saying you don't, I mean, not coming into the year. I was extremely high on them. And by the way, Herm Edwards, all he does is play close games because 19 of his 30 games were decided by one possession coming into the year. You play to win the game. Hello. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. All their games are one possession, so every point does matter here if you want to lay it with Arizona State. There's a, a fascinating dynamic in that Arizona State has just coasted, right? They played two, so they're like fresh and ready to go. They haven't played a road game yet, and they haven't been tested. BYU has, and you know Arizona State. When's the last time they played in front of a hostile environment? It's been two years. So BYU 
tested, ready, if they can avoid the hangover, the emotional hangover, finally beating Utah. But then it's BYU beat up. I mean, that's a physical team to play last week. I mean, Algier, who's excellent, ran for over 1,100 yards. He had, what, he almost carried the ball 30 times. He had all of their carries. So we'll see if fatigue sets in. Should be a fascinating game. Moving on to the final marquee game. We're staying in prime time for a whiteout in Happy Valley. It'll be nice to see after last year. More fan excitement. Talking Auburn at Penn State at Winbet. Penn State five-point favorite over under 53. Bo Nick season in full effect. Drop the line, Mitchell. Bo Nick season in full effect. Look, Bo Nick's. I have to start with his home road splits. Home, 22 touchdowns, three interceptions. On the road, 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He's been significantly worse on the road. Can he get it together here? I do worry a little bit about the Auburn offensive line as well. But I'll just throw this to you because I make this line around six, six and a half, and it's five. So what am I going to do with that? Nothing. Um, So I probably won't have a pregame position on this game unless you can convince me or the line significantly changes. What do you got? It's bow time. Boom. Like a powder keg in your mouth. Southern style. I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've struggled with is what is this line? I agree with you that the line should be around five and a half. But when you get down around the four range, you're telling me that Penn State at home in a whiteout has how much home field advantage that this these two teams would be a pick on a neutral. That doesn't make much sense. Uh, So I think there is value in the Penn State number the further that it drops. We talked about market markets telling me Auburn covers this game. Not not always foolproof, but. Not always foolproof, and we'll see how far the, the line goes down. But, I mean, what is what has Auburn done? They've played Alabama State, and they played Akron. And Mike Bobo is the offensive coordinator, which means they're going to score 60 points on everybody that they possibly can because that's just fuel in the tank for things. You know, when things go south, they're like, well, I did beat this team by 50 points. I'm Mike Bobo. Bo Nix right now leads all Power 5 quarterbacks in adjusted completion percentage at 89.5%. And you would see that he has five touchdowns and no interceptions. But what you won't see is that he had two turnover-worthy plays against Alabama State. So I'm not convinced that Nix is completely back. Uh, He's only been pressured three times at 42 dropbacks, and he's still finding ways to have turnover-worthy plays. So I'm not a Bo Nix believer yet. He's got to do it on the road in an underdog situation like this. Penn State's ability to stop Tank Bigsby is really the handicap, and you know, it's pretty impossible to do. This is a guy that averages over five yards after contact. He drags piles with him everywhere that he goes. Penn State's recorded 12 tackles for loss this season, but the strength has really been the back seven. The Nittany Lions grayed out as the third best in the nation in coverage. So stop tank, let Bo make all the turnover worthy plays. That's really how Penn State can win this game because Bo Nix did it against Alabama State. Penn State has already exposed Wisconsin uh, and Graham Mertz. They could do it again against Bo Nix. And, you know, Auburn's defense, they may have success also. I mean, defending the tempo offenses is what got Derek Mason a head coaching job in the first place when he was out at Stanford. Auburn has run eight different defensive schemes so far this season, but the blitz rate has not been there. Amazingly, their blitz rate is like 16% right now, and Derek Mason is used to blitzing like 35%. So Sean Clifford and these numbers that he has, they're fantastic. This Mike Yurisich offense, if if you don't know what he's done to Sean Clifford, he's eliminated turnover-worthy plays. He hasn't thrown one yet. And there have been 39 screens and play action calls. And in those, Sean Clifford is 87% adjusted completion rate. That is fantastic. And they have actually played real competition. Mike Yurisich has learned 
how to call an offense that is conducive to getting productive productivity out of Sean Clifford and get the ball to Dotson, uh, you know, getting behind defenses, what they did against Wisconsin. So, you know, Clifford is the quarterback that's more improved here. Bo Nix still has a ton to prove. The number, like I said, is awfully low. I mean, would you make this a pick on a neutral? I wouldn't. So as much as I love tank, as much as I love tank, I think Penn state's going to load the box, stop tank, force Bo to throw. And it's probably going to end up being whether Bo Nix is able to hit Shots past 15 yards is what's going to decide who wins this ball game. Now, don't jump on me, Bo Nix season full effect, but I'm going to take the discount on Penn State at four. I'm not going to go on this five, five and a half, six route. If, if a four or, you know, if the, if the number continues to drop, maybe I'll play it live. I don't have strong convictions about this, but at four, I want to buy Penn State. Fair enough. We will also have more on that game on our Saturday morning live show, Big Bets on Campus Live, which will be broadcast live on Twitter at 10 a.m. Eastern, so make sure you check that out. All right, let's move on to the next segment here and talk some rapid fire. Uh, Let's just throw out some games that you like and the reasons why, and if the other person has a strong opinion, they can reply. I'll start. I'll throw out a couple. Just keep in mind, Ole Miss, they have a bye next week, and then Alabama, but then Alabama. They, they start with Tulane here at home. Tulane was game against Oklahoma. They lost by five at Oklahoma as massive dogs in a game. Oklahoma made three fifty plus yard field goals. Tulane has shown that they can, they're not going to be afraid of this stage. Ole Miss's offense is obviously excellent. The defense still has a lot of questions. I'm not sure how much Lane Kiffin will want to show if Ole Miss has a big lead by halftime, knowing Alabama's on deck show as little as possible, new formations, new wrinkles. Obviously you also want to stay healthy. So I'll be, I'll be eyeing a, a play potentially on Tulane if they're down, let's say two touchdowns or more at the half. Um, Kent state. I have to, yeah, you want to talk about, you know, a, a letdown spot for Iowa. They beat Iowa state. They beat Indiana, but they had seven, they had seven combined turnovers. It's a team with zero explosiveness. Kent state has the offense that can get a backdoor here. They can potentially hit a few explosive plays. You have an NFL caliber quarterback on your side. I do worry that they're just going to get pushed around in the trenches, but I was just been running so well, high regression candidate, let down spot. And I, I'm waiting for the 24 to pop um, out of all the coaches in college football since 2005 interaction labs database, the least profitable, as a double-digit favorite, Kirk Ferentz. Uh, just been dreadful as a double-digit favorite. And, you know, look, they're usually conservative. They're usually slow, hard to cover big numbers. So I'll be looking for flash fast. As soon as that 24 pops, uh, I'll be hitting it. Uh, any thoughts on either of those two? A total, from a total perspective, yeah. The Kent, Iowa, I would like to take an over in that one, considering how fast uh, the flashes like to go. That's going to equal more possessions with, uh, for Iowa and their offense, which – could in turn equal uh, some pretty fast scores considering what this Kent State defense uh, did against Texas A&M and uh, the fact that this is a very small Mac school. And I mean, physically, they're they're small going up against Iowa. There could be some points scored here, so I would take the over there. I'm actually looking the opposite way against Tulane and Miss, Ole Miss. This is a number that I make at 74. Uh, market is at 76 right now. And who's buying an under ticket on this game? Nobody. Nobody. But you're right. I mean, like Ole Miss's starters are not going to be in there the whole entire time. Tulane is never going to stop throwing haymakers the entire game. Get this number. It's up to 76. 
hey, get this number up to 77. Give me a live line over 80. Uh, under is the play for me because I just don't I don't see the point in Ole Miss making this a track meet, especially if they have a two-touchdown lead. Fair enough. And the last one I'll, I'll throw out before tossing to you is uh, Vatek, West Virginia, at Winbet, West Virginia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I played West Virginia as two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm lower on Vatek than I think the market, and everyone else. I've seen people make West Vatek a favorite here. Vatek is getting too much credit, in my opinion, for the UNC win. UNC was just a mess. They had three turnovers. They were missing their center. They had all new weapons, and nothing went right for them on the road in conference to start out their season. I mean, this is a West Virginia team. It was 14-7 at the half against Middle Tennessee State. It's still Braxton Burmeister there. They now lost their tight end, their star tight end for the season. They have no explosiveness down the field. They can't throw it down the field. And West Virginia's run defense is excellent. Country roads, play it. Country roads, take me I think West Virginia wins this game at home uh, against the Vatech team that's getting way too much credit for that win against UNC to open up the season. Um, I think West Virginia gets it done. Uh, thoughts on there, and then you want to throw out a couple? No thoughts on that game. I'm going to move right into a disgusting play, which is Temple uh, back-to-back road travel for BC after losing their quarterback on the season. And they gave oh, up 20. 20- sucks. Jerkovic is <laughs> done for the year. I'm awful. I know. They gave up 28 points to UMass, though. I mean, listen, Boston College, they have a quarterback that's been there forever in Dennis Grossel. So, you know, at least they can try to score some points. They did in the second half against UMass. Uh, but, you know, this is back-to-back road travel, a team that's lost their leader and their quarterback. Uh, the Minutemen were also playing a backup quarterback in, in Brady Olson, and he still threw for three touchdowns. So say what you want about – you know, the offense being the problem with BC in that game up in Amherst, but that's not really the problem. The problem was the defense. Uh, you know, Boston College, after this game, they have Missouri, Clemson, NC State. So how much is BC looking at, you know, back-to-back road travel, taking the train down to down to Philly to play Temple? Uh, how much are they looking to, like, lay the hammer in and just beat the hell out of them when they got an SEC team coming up? Uh, you know, Grosso got it going in the second half, but, uh, you know, the offensive line allowed five tackles for loss against UMass. Now, you tell me, is that a – is that a BC problem or is that a UMass new feature? Uh, probably towards the, the former. So Boston College stayed in standard downs most of the game. They ran 45 times compared to 18 attempts, which means they're probably going to do that against Temple. Limit how much Dennis Grossel is throwing the ball. He's not going to come out and gunsling it everywhere. So that makes the spread of over two touchdowns, three, you know, three's possession score, uh, even more valuable. Temple is dead last in tempo. And BC's 103rd in plays per minute. This is not going to be a fast game. It's a disgusting game. But the fact that BC is off what happened in, up at UMass with their quarterback and what they've got to look ahead to, ugh, it's gross. But I'm going to take Temple and all and the points that go over 14. Yeah, and what, what, one game I wanted to ask you about that I played, Miami-Michigan State. I got the uh, a bad number here. There's You can get six now. I laid six and a half. I'm shocked by this number. I thought it would be closer to 10. I know Derek King, has, his numbers look pretty bad with a clean pocket and something's off there, But and they barely escaped App State. They got blown up by Alabama. Okay, that's it's fine in the opener. They barely escaped App State, but you know App State had a, a special teams touchdown. Miami had a missed field goal. 
you know, I was impressed with Miami's run defense, which I think will matter here. Michigan State, I mean, they played Youngstown State and Northwestern, who just might be absolutely dreadful. So I, I just don't understand this line. But obviously, there's a lot of money in the market that likes Michigan State. Well, I, I don't understand the line either. I make it 10 and a half and I kind of, I might ride with you and take Miami here. I think there's a lot of people that have seen Michigan state highlights and think that, you know, they're on the upswing and that Miami's, you know, uh, you know, not as good as projected just a few weeks ago. The fact is Miami's 127th and uh, PF and PFF tackling grades and they're 110th in offensive finishing drives. They're just not scoring any points. Once they get past the 40 yard line, that can be fixed. Rhett Lashley can figure that out. And tackling fundamentals, you would hope that Manny Diaz can figure that out. So you did start your season off with Alabama, so the stats don't look so good. And Michigan State has looked fantastic to start out. I think you're getting a stock dip here, and it's a good time to buy in the Hurricanes. And last one, anything in Purdue, Notre Dame? Well, first off, you know, Purdue's uh, defensive line is, you know, really good. Notre Dame's offensive line is struggling. Jack Cohn has been sacked 11 times. The guy has got cinder blocks for legs and his arm can't even throw that deep. I, I don't know when the freshman's going to come in and take over for Jack Cohn. The execution is still not there for Notre Dame. I love Purdue's defensive line. I think they're going to get pressure on Cohn. Carlaftis is a stud. Oh, he's going to be all over him. Oh, absolutely all over him. I love Purdue in this spot. Um, it's kind of sad. I didn't get it at eight. Uh, I think seven right now at win bet, but, uh, but you know, Purdue is the side for me. Operation fade Notre Dame. I've been saying that. Um, I might join you. We'll see. Uh, All right, let's move on to our next segment. It's time to take out the trash. I'm the trash man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage, and you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. All right, uh, this is bad and ugly, and it's probably going to backfire, and we're going to look dumb, but we both, one of us played UMass, one of us played UConn, so it's time to step up to the plate and make our cases. Uh-huh. I'll start with my dissertation on why I bet UConn plus 34 and a half at Army. I, first of all, I see value in the number, shockingly, against UConn, who has lost 94 nothing to the two FBS teams that have played. The one FCS team that played, Holy Cross beat them 38-28. It's ugly. But what did I say? Triple option, this triple option team, slow team like Georgia Southern, Hard to cover these big numbers. Air Force, Army, Navy as double-digit favorites, 43% against the spread historically. Double-digit dogs, like 60%. As an underdog, 53% overall. They are horrible double-digit favorites. You want to go to 20-point favorites? Army, Navy, and Air Force are 8-15-2 against the spread, 34% when laying over four touchdowns, and 18-29-3 when laying over 20. Compare that to this, 21-6 and six against the spread when getting 20 or more. That's 78%. Triple option math, limited possessions, harder to cover these bigger numbers. Now, Army did beat UMass, 2019 UMass, 63-7. to seven. I still have this UConn team rated seven points higher than that. No, actually, 10. 10 points higher than that UMass team. That's how dreadful that UMass team was. But so there's, uh, this is just a blind fade of Army as a 34 and a half point favorite. Um, and on top of that, there are some things. To, if I had to make a case for UConn, they're dreadful. But last week was pretty much week zero for them playing Purdue. They had a new coach and a new quarterback. And the quarterback change was a good thing for our bet this week. 
because they got rid of the, the turnover machine, Zergiadis, and they brought in Krajewski, who, better decision maker, he can also do some things with his legs, which is big because they're going to be under pressure the entire game. They have a couple good running backs. This will probably end badly, but I think that UConn can score 7-14. to 14. Maybe it might take a fluke touchdown. But remember, you're playing Army team who's run well in the turnover department so far. Uh, it's a, you know, a pitch, a fumble dive. They could have a drive that takes 10 minutes, and then it becomes extremely difficult to cover 34. This is a team that beat Citadel last year, 12-7. to 7. I know Citadel has familiarity with the triple option. UConn saw it in 2019 against Navy. I don't think it's that applicable here. It's a very new roster. But uh, at the end of the day, this is a fade of Army as a 34-and-a-half-point favorite, which I will do almost blindly every single time. I actually passed on UMass. I just could not put my money on that UMass team anymore. I'm not passing <laughs> on this week. But that brings me – that brings us to your uh, play on UMass. Uh, take it away. Uh, remorse. Are you joining me on UConn, by the way, or no? I, I thought about throwing a couple hundred. Like, when you and I decided – when we both figured out earlier in the week that you and I were taking these two teams, I thought, you know what, I should I – should parlay them both together yeah the pro- parlay for the, one thing okay I'll, I'll do it with you too the one thing that scares me about UConn besides the fact they haven't scored a single point against an FBS team um is that their pace of play is like 36th and I just don't oh just don't go three and out three and out three and out three and out over and over at a fast tempo and keep giving up possessions to army but then maybe army's feeling charitable because it's kind of like a you know an orphan team with a coach that's already gone and I don't know UMass, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned some things about the Boston College box score that really caught my attention. How much of that is Boston College? How much of that is UMass? There's a lot of things going on up at Amherst. I mean, I got texts from multiple people this week that are like, you shouldn't have put in that UMass bet. There's a COVID, there's COVID going on. I hear the whole team is going to be out. And so I've been on this 72-hour search for what is going on from a COVID perspective. Now, I knew that the tailgate at McGurk last week was canceled. The administrators had a, you know, they have a COVID scare, but that didn't stop 10,000 fans from still getting together right outside the stadium and hosting their own tailgate. Yeah, in another area. By the way, you get a ticket at UMass if you stand at a tailgate. I think think we reviewed these rules a couple of years ago. Like the the tailgating rules up there are funky. But the, 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 the rampant speculation about COVID is what has sent this line do they I hit pay it. you too? Do they pay you to go in and watch? <laughs> if you're going to watch a UMass game, I'd get tanked. I'd be standing in the yeah, back of, of, a, of, a, of a truck bed. So, I sure. mean, listen, this COVID, I, I can't find the source of this. What I do know is that this number opened around 19 and a half, 20, and I was happy to hit it on the opener when it fell down to 17 on Eastern Michigan. I felt great. I feel justified in the number that I took. Then this COVID news gets released. Boom, we're all the way up to 23 and a half. Now the market's being bought back down to 22 because maybe this isn't you know really what's going on. There is a lot of manipulation going on with this number. So I can't confirm that there's COVID on the team, but what I can confirm is that there are nine players not playing. Walt Bell said on Tuesday at practice, uh, specifically, there are nine players sitting out this one because of injury, and that includes quarterback Tyler Lytle. Now, he's not the one who played against Boston College. Quarterback Brady Olson is expected to get the start. And he had a better than national average success rate against the BC defense. He looked pretty good. Yeah, and Eastern Michigan is no BC. And by the way, if you're familiar with baseball, there's a term called VORP, value over replacement player. I assume everybody on the UMass roster is pretty much equal to each other. So if we're going from first string to second string, I'm not not really sure. Like, it's not like we've lost Jerkovic here, right? It's not like we've lost, uh, you know, uh, DJ Uyunglele. 
So and they have better depth this year. This they had 115 kids in, in yep. camp instead of like 90, which they had two years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, the Eagles are bottom five in more than half the advanced stats this year. Success rate, line yards, coverage. Offensively, they are near dead last in finishing drives, explosiveness, and havoc allowed. This is this isn't some great Mac team. I know that they've made a couple bowls, but they are dreadful in the advanced stats right now. Chris Creighton's got his work cut out for him, and you're gonna make them this big of a favorite on the road against anybody. I don't think it's a good idea. So a place where UMass has shown improvement, there is improvement actually in their numbers. They're 76th in line yards. That's a that's going to be needed against an Eastern Michigan team who likes to send Preston Hutchinson, their huge quarterback on designed runs. But UMass is actually owning the trench a little bit. Sign me up for UMass, giving all these points over three touchdowns. Let the public run crazy with all this. Let the COVID, let the COVID cancel the tailgate on the outside. The, the kids are still going to be there. Sign me up. Let's go. No Mac team should be favored this much on the road. UMass, UConn, baby. <laughs> it's a trash man weekend. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. Gold Fortunately for you, UConn, UConn Army's at noon on CBS Sports Network. That's my favorite slot. Uh, fortunately, so people will watch me get embarrassed. No one will watch you because I think it's on Flow Sports, but I'll be watching it. You don't have your $29.99 subscription so you can watch UTEP at 10 p.m. and UMass? At- I do. I do. I'm just saying the masses <laughs> will. Um, all right. Let's move on to a quick FCS or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC Yes or No. I'll just point out a couple things here. Rutgers takes on Delaware at home. Rutgers has 2-0 Rutgers. Also, Syracuse has Michigan and Ohio State on deck. They take on Delaware. Delaware team that in 2019 went to Pitt and only lost 17-14, ranked number six in the FCS Bowl, uh, went to the semifinals in uh, the spring, the FCS semifinals. I saw this number open up at a, at a shop 31 and a half, too high. And I don't, I don't know if it's out in a lot of books. Now it's 27 and a half there. If I can get over 28 with Delaware, blue hens, baby. And then Oregon, Stony Brook, Oregon, let down city. Stony Brook stinks though. So Oregon off that Ohio state win. They cannot throw the ball. They can't score. If you think Oregon has a letdown, you know, and these are very small limits on these games. I would look at the under Stony Brook. Their defense is good for an FCS team, uh, but they can't throw the ball at all. Like it's at the FCS level. So I can't see them scoring. Maybe it's, I saw Oregon's like a 41 and a half point favorite. Maybe mm-hmm. like Oregon wins 45, nothing. Uh, that's all I got. You got anything in FCS? Yeah. I've got my eyes on Tennessee, Tennessee tech. The Vols are in desperate need of a get healthy game. And Tennessee tech has been blown out to the tune of 78 to 14 against Samford and Furman. Uh, for <laughs> Tennessee Tech is really struggling. I mean, they're missing some players. Uh, a first half line may be the key because Florida is on deck for Tennessee. There's no injury status update as, as of this recording on Joe Milton, but if he plays, I think that's great because you're going to get more of a first half with Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker, I'd bet my money on. Joe Milton, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, you're not going to see me betting Joe Milton money against another an SEC team, but Hendon Hooker, uh, we actually have always liked, but you know, if Hendon Hooker gets extended play in the first half, I think that's a great thing. Uh, the Golden Eagles are just, they're not prepared for this Vols offense that is second in plays per minute. I mean, Heupel, I'm really disappointed that he's not first in the nation in tempo. Heupel's looking for an offensive groove and, and he needs this scrimmage to serve as a purpose. It's not like this is just some 
random sandwich FCS game. Like Hypel really needs to lay the beat down on somebody. The Tennessee side versus the total, because I think the defense is playing well. And Tennessee Tech has had real issues getting on the board so far this season. So I'm not sure that they can score and get points up to support an over ticket. But I'm looking for a Tennessee first half. Oh, also Juco. Juco transfer Byron Young. He gets his first start on the defensive line for Tennessee. He was their prized transfer portal possession. He couldn't play in the first two games. He is making his start in this game. It's another reason I don't want to mess with the total. So Tennessee, first half the side. It is not open as you and I are recording this. I am looking for under 24 on the volunteers in the first half. All right, don't hate it. Some good insight there. Before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, you just mentioned Josh Heupel. Let's talk some Friday Night Lights on first down. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. At Winbet, UCF is six and a half point favorite at Louisville, over under 66 and a half. Look, UCF out to a 2 0 start. They got down big to Boise State, came back, won that game. And then last week, they blew out Bethune Cookman. Who cares? Look, I wasn't that high coming into the season on Louisville. I think you were much higher in them, but maybe I, I, I don't know. Maybe I also was lower on UCF. I thought this line was crazy when I could get seven and a half with Louisville at home. So I took it. I grabbed it as soon as I saw seven and a half, six and a half is a little dicier, but if you can get a touchdown or more, I like the home dog Cardinals here. I think that they might be able to control the clock, take UCF out of their game a little bit. You should see a lot of points, high variance game, but I, I think catching seven and a half with this Louisville team, at home Friday night, I'm taking it. Thoughts? Yeah, turnovers, mistakes, everything for Louisville that kept them from covering that first game of the season. Uh, you know, they 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 are their own worst enemy, and it shows on the defensive side of the ball. They are 128th in defending the explosive play. They are 115th in defensive havoc. There is nothing happening. That's scary that. against UCF. And that it scares me also that they're 126th in tackling. So Central Florida, I make it seven. But you know what? You got to respect – other power rating systems that put it much lower and, you know, SP plus makes this four and a half. So that tells me that this money's going to come in and knock central Florida down. That makes me pretty happy. Uh, I think your seven and a half is a good number. It's not going to get back up there. And I think the number is going to continue to come down and I'm just going to sit here and wait because it's six. I'm a buyer at five and a half. I'm a buyer of, of central Florida. These Louisville defensive numbers are gross. Yeah. That, it does scare me against Dylan Gabriel, but um, I'm happy with the number I have at least. All right, uh, and then elsewhere on Friday night, anything in the other game? Talking Maryland, uh, seven-point favorite at Winbet at Illinois, over under 60-and-a-half. This game's at 9 Eastern on FS1. Uh, I, I got nothing for this game. What do you got? Maryland's able to put up explosive plays. Illinois is going to have a problem defending that. I know Brendan Peters is back. I think that's the reason why we've seen a little bit of line movement here. But Brendan Peters doesn't play defense. And this Brett Bielema defense is outside the top 100 in numerous categories coverage, explosive play, line yards on the ground and through the air. They're not able to cover anything. I like Maryland, but I will sit and wait for the market to give me a better number. Crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. All right, moving on to second down. Let's talk overdogs and underdogs. Let's start with our favorite overdog of the weekend. For those not familiar, podcast inside joke, it's our favorite favorite. It's called the overdog parlay. By the way, I didn't even play the last two that I gave out, Louisville and then Indiana last week. Who just I think they did get two special teams touchdowns, but covered against Idaho. 
Favorite overdog? I mean, I have a lot of favorites today on the open this week. Uh, you know, some good numbers. I mean, I have West Virginia minus two and a half. I guess that's still out there. I have Arizona State minus two and a half. Georgia State minus two and a half. A lot of minus two and a half, but uh, I guess, you know, those aren't real favorites. I guess I'll give out Miami, who we already talked about, uh, laying under a touchdown. I don't think that this Michigan State team, this Michigan State team is getting too much love for her. I, I know Peyton Thorne has looked good, but they, they, they all they've done is beat Northwestern. And I, I think that people are missed. It, it was a misleading final score against App State for Miami. Run defense has been good. I'll make Peyton Thorne beat me through the air. Uh, how about you, favorite overdog? Yeah, I'm going to take UAB. Uh, this is a great spot to buy them. I said last week that I took UAB out of principle at 28 against Georgia because that number should be down more around 22. And guess what? After announcement of uh, JT Daniels not being in the game and a couple of little bit of COVID scare with a couple of the Georgia players, the number actually settled down around where I had it projected. And I came back and hit Georgia and had no problems with that either because Bill Clark doesn't cover against power five teams. Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, there's just a running list of power five teams where UAB doesn't show up, but you know what they can do? Dominate teams in their conference and dominate teams in the G5. We are getting a discount rate on UAB against a North Texas team that is struggling in areas that they haven't struggled with before. 125th in pass blocking, they're not able to protect their quarterback whatsoever. Their passing success rate is 61st. That's very un-North Texas-like. Uh, there's a lot of holes here. I mean, North Texas defensively, bottom 10 and defending explosive play. I think Bill Clark is going to put the hammer down here on the road. Uh, they did not put any effort into that Georgia game. I think they moved on to North Texas before they even stepped foot on that field last week. Fair enough. And uh, let's move on to our favorite money line underdog. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Uh, I'll start. Let, let's go into Sunday, 12.30 a.m. Eastern, post-midnight. I think this game's on FS1. Let's go with Hawaii on campus playing San Jose State. Hawaii's catching six and a half, seven. Another dog I like that he can get seven or above. These two teams played last year in December, and San Jose State, who had three weeks to prepare due to canceled games, was a two-and-a-half-point favorite. These teams haven't changed that much. Now they're laying seven. Don't think so. And I was actually lower on San Jose State coming into this year because they lost their two star receivers. I think it's really going to hurt their offense. And now you look back against USC, they only scored seven points. That looks a lot worse after what Tanner McKee did to USC the week after. Uh, this Hawaii team, new offensive coordinator, had some growing pains early. Uh, you know, I think that they could take some momentum and something from that second half against Oregon State where the offense started to get rolling. They can they can cover these receivers after you know it's a downgraded receiving group. San Jose State might have a lot of success on the ground. Do worry about that a bit, but I think there's value in this number. Give me the bows, and you know it's Hawaii on the island. Weird things happen. They're a different animal there. Um, so I'm rolling with Hawaii. How about you? I'm gonna go with Memphis against Mississippi State. Mississippi State's got some overlooked LSU here. Short road trip up I-55 to go play in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, this Memphis team, they've, they've put up 97 points against Nichols and Arkansas State so far. Memphis is sixth in tempo, and their top 15 in big play rate and havoc allowed. This offense is humming under a freshman quarterback, Seth Hennigan. Uh, he just threw for 400 yards and five TDs against Arkansas State. 
Uh, and so far, no turnover worthy plays. That's the important thing. I mean, I can sit here and look at yards and touchdowns all day, but the fact that this freshman kid hasn't put his team in harm or had any turnover worthy plays is, is notable. And 11 pressured dropbacks as adjusted completion percentage is actually jumps. It jumps like 10%, 87% when he's in a crowded pocket. That's some impressive stuff from a freshman. Mississippi State is 123rd in third down conversions. Leach said it in his presser this week, not comfortable with what's going on in third downs. I don't know. That's a great point. We were like one of the most constipated offenses on earth. And, you know, we... He's converting just 23% on 21 attempts so far this year. And let's not forget that box score against NC State. Just complete fraud in it. Three turnovers, uh, the first one being an interception at the Mississippi State 5. A fumble later on by NC State turned into a touchdown for Mississippi State. They were outgained and outplayed from a third down conversion, number of first downs, like everywhere on the board, NC State won that game except on the scoreboard. The Memphis defense isn't anything to write home about. I mean, to give a 50 to Arkansas State. Uh, but, you know, there are things that are notable here. Memphis is running a 3-3-5 defense. That's what you have to run against an air raider, Mike Leach, uh, to have any kind of success whatsoever. Plus, Memphis generated seven tackles for loss and six quarterback hurries against Arkansas State. I know this is an SEC offensive line. I get it. But at the same time, but the tempo that Memphis is playing on, the level this kid is throwing, the fact that he hasn't thrown any turnover-worthy plays whatsoever, this is going to be a shootout. I got Memphis in it. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. I've been really impressed with Seth Hennigan, the freshman. So we'll see how that turns out. And yeah, you, you said it, Mississippi State might be due for a couple breaks that go against them after that NC State game. All right, before we get out of here, we got one last order of business. Let's go to third down. And that's our favorite bet. My favorite bet of the weekend. I wonder if you can guess it. The Georgia Southern Eagles. Colin, let me get talked about the spot for Arkansas. Obviously, it's an awful spot. They beat Texas. They had Texas A&M on deck, followed by two more SEC-ranked opponents. Georgia Southern gets their quarterback back. I'd throw out a lot of their, their first two results. They didn't have a quarterback to run this triple option. Their starting quarterback, Justin Tomlin, was academically ineligible. He's now back. They got embarrassed last week by Florida Atlantic, but the final score is a bit misleading. It was 6 nothing. They were driving to go up 14 nothing. Fumble, quarterback injury to their backup, and then it all fell apart. I think Georgia Southern comes out, can actually function in their triple option offense. They'll eat up clock. It's hard to cover a 24-point spread against a triple option offense. So I'm trusting that this Georgia Southern will be able to put together some drives. And then, look, Arkansas, if they get a big lead, big backdoor opportunity if if necessary, Georgia Southern plus 24. Yada, where are you going? With a straight face right into mine. I'm going to take Florida. Florida straight first. face. And, hey, look, don't get, don't be, <laughs> don't, don't mess around in the first half. Georgia Southern did win at Florida. But go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with Florida uh, 14 and a half, plus 14 and a half via win bet. There are sometimes college football players come around and they do things that are just, you can't mathematically quantify what it is they're doing. And Anthony Richardson is that new product in college football. He does backflips. He jumps over kids when he's running the ball. Uh, he's averaging 11.9 yards after contact. Uh, nobody can bring him down. Nobody can catch him. And he's the backup quarterback. Emory Jones is going to start for the Florida Gators, but he puts his team in harm's way. He's had six turnover-worthy plays, and Anthony Richardson's had zero. Now that I've heard from Dan Mullen that Anthony Richardson is healthy and the hamstring tweak, 
isn't really that much of a going to hamper him from running the ball. You can expect Florida to own the trench on both sides of the ball. And that's a large statement against Alabama. But if you listen to Nick Saban, 17 penalties already this season for 176 yards, he is not happy with the state of this football team. And I'm going to tell you what, if I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? And the defense has lost Christopher Allen, one of their best edge defenders. Now Will Anderson, the other edge defender, is having a knee problem. And they may be out one of their pieces in the secondary. I like Florida to cover the 14 and a half. I think they're going to give Alabama a hell of a scare this week. First road star for Bryce Young in the swap. I can't wait for the fence. I agree with you. Anything over two touchdowns. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening. Thanks, as always, to Colin for all of his great insight make sure you subscribe unsubscribe subscribe big bets on campus wherever you listen to a podcast review leave a review rating five star i'll promise i'll do giveaways so we'll give away a bunch of stuff producer send me the best ones i'll find some good ones too uh so make sure you leave a review let's have a big weekend we will catch you all later cheers peace out